Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Dust off your disc, man. Grab a Capri Sun. My name is Nassim, and this is Nostalgia. This podcast is the ultimate pop culture throwback, transporting us to the best decades of our time, the 90s and 2000s. Am I right? Some might say that I live with one foot in the past, but I can't help it. Being nostalgic and reminiscing is just part of my DNA. It's like my obsession with boy bands or Blockbuster, or still being upset over the fact that I haven't been slimed. So get cozy with your Cheetos or Doritos as we take a peek into my memory box and take it back. Nostalgia is N-A-S hyphen T-A-L-G-I-A. Find it anywhere. You are now listening to the hottest true crime podcast in the streets. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. Oh, yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah, man, I'm the mailman, can't you tell, man? Gonna post it. What up? Fran, how you doing? Doing good, man. What's up with you? Not much, man. Just living life, enjoying life, trying to uh, enjoy my hot boy spring, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, I don't know... I don't want to blame global warming. I don't know if it's a cold front hitting the yeah. East Coast or yeah. what, but it has been unseasonably frigid all the month of April. And I'm an April baby, man. Like, this is the time when Taurus has come out. We celebrate. We turn up. You know, we're a very calm uh, uh, zodiac sign. Mm-hmm. But when it's our month, we like to celebrate and have a good time. Yeah. And it's just too cold and too cold to fire up the grill, barbecue. Like, it, it's, it's so cold. Yeah. I don't yeah. understand. It's weird. Like, not just like 65. It's been like. 40 degrees all day a lot of days it ain't been that low it's been like bro it's, it's been, been cold been, man it's, it's been, been cold 45. it's been like it's been like 55 56 yeah and then the sun goes down and i can see my breath in april that's weird <laughs> that's strange i don't know i don't know if this you know it's other people telling me up in colorado and other places they getting snow snow yeah it's in the snowing in places it's april yeah I'm telling you man it's, it's the, the the seasons are going to start Rolling into yeah, other seasons, that, man. I'm I don't telling know. you that that whole thing that okay. you said is still crazy. Right. I don't know. Like, and then you set it away, and now you're trying to reform it to make it make it like. <laughs> so you said like, I think the season is going to start gonna switch? switching. I, it's rolling into us, man. Yeah, look. rolling into is different than like okay. now when it used to be but summer. It, it, it rolled into, and then it makes the, it makes a change. Oh, that's the, the first step is they're yes. going to throw you off with being a little sticking around a little yeah, longer, man. and then they're just going to be like, this is this is our Someone's time. Someone's going to go into fall. I'm telling you, man. It's possible. It is possible. It definitely. I tell you like this: your theory is holding strong right now. Yeah, it is. It is. It's cold. It is brisk outside. Yes, 
Uh, but anyway, I like it though. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't. Not in spring. Not when you're expecting spring. I like it. I don't like it. I, you know, you know, I don't, I don't enjoy. I like, I like the the pants t-shirt combo. No, man. I, you know, I don't because the way that I dress in springtime with this temperature, you know, I don't like hard nips in the springtime. That's not a that's a winter <laughs> thing. I don't. It's yeah. weird. I don't like that. It's frigid. It's not. You know, I'm, I'm trying to wear tank tops and be, you know, cool, and then I'm getting hit with all this frigid wind. You don't shouldn't put the tank tops out till you know late June. Late June. Mid to late June. No, yeah. you can. Ugh. Tank May, top? May May is short for May the tank tops roll. That's not what it's short for. That is. That's I mean. That's how I grew up learning. That's not what your, no. your parents thing used to no. say. No. <laughs> but it, <laughs> but anyway, uh, friend, uh, um, it was. Before we roll into this, is going to actually roll into quite a uh, controversial topic, but uh, this is the, the best segue for it. There was some, some Facebook drama on our mm-hmm. Facebook group. Mm. Uh, there, people got into some some arguments around the uh, the George Floyd, Derek Chauvin trial. I feel like that space that was created for the podcast is a space that I feel should be a safe space for conversation and disagreeing and honest, open dialogue. It's not a space for trolls yeah. or people just trying to stir the pot. And so I don't want. That's what somebody did? That's what I feel like somebody did. And Purposely? That's what, I, that's what a lot of people. I don't know if it was purpose, purposefully what, he, what this person did or if they really just thought that they would ask the question that they asked and people would be like, hmm, I see you playing devil's advocate. Let's have a discussion about this. Mm-hmm. That's not the way that it went at all. So I don't know if it was done purposefully or not, but it felt that way. And so I'm saying all this to say that I don't want my feelings in this episode to be uh, misconstrued as when I get to my point. Uh, I don't want my feelings on this subject to be misconstrued as me trying to have a spirited debate or a hot take. Yeah, or have a hot take or, you know, stir the pot. It's just um, I, I see a conversation happening. I, my My thoughts have been asked. I've seen you know, contentious conversations happen around this uh, topic. And so I feel like, you know, we have this platform and as opposed to not saying anything, I want to be honest about how I feel about the situation. I feel like that's the whole reason. That's how I, that, that is the, that is the, the joy I feel from podcasting is that it's like a forum for me to be honest and speak freely and, mm-hmm. and speak my mind. So, you know, with, uh, with that preface for people who don't know Micaiah Bryant, uh, the day of the, Derek Chauvin trial, uh, a young lady was shot by a police officer in Columbus, Ohio. Her name was Makai Bryant. She was 16 years old. Uh, the police officer pulled up on the scene. The young lady had a knife in her hand. She had just, she was just standing over a woman. There was a fight broke out, you mm-hmm. know, and somebody called the police. I'm still not even sure who that is. It is believed that Makai Bryant. One, I think one of the, I heard the, the, the call. Yes. Um, it is believed that Micaiah Bryant called the police, but it's still kind of m- multiple people may have called. It, it's still kind of up in the air. Yeah, but Makai, let's just even just say Micaiah Bryant called the police. But when the police officer arrives on the scene, there's a, a a fight breaks out as soon as they pull up on the scene. A woman falls on the ground. The police officer sees that the girl the the girl standing over that woman has a knife in her hand. She then turns her attention away from that woman and lunges towards another woman who was up against a car holding the dog. Yeah. Uh, within that time frame, this all happened in five seconds. All this stuff happened in five, less than 10 seconds. Yeah. The police officer pulls his gun out or his gun was already out. I don't really know. And he shoots the young lady four times. Mm-hmm. Um, coming off of the heels of the Derek Chauvin trial, 
emotions are clearly high in the country. So you hear about this story and, you know, you immediately, your mind immediately goes to Laquan McDonald and, you know, all these other stories that we've heard, Breonna Taylor, all of these things come up within your spirit and you're immediately angry. And so when I first heard what happened, I was outraged too. I was like, man, we can't even want the, the trial just happened. We get a not guilty verdict, thankfully. And the same day this happens. And then I watch the video and I go, Oh, um, I mean, it looked like she was about to stab somebody. Yeah. So, and, uh, and then there were some conversations on our Facebook group again around this, because a lot of the consensus around this, the people are having is, uh, it's the same thing. This guy's a murderer and all those kind of things. I feel like you can be heartbroken that that girl lost her life. You can feel like police training needs to be reformed. There needs to be new tactics. You know, we need to, you know, reimagine what policing, all the things that we still believe and have believed over the last year, two years, whatever the, however the time is when you found out about the social justice changes and the wave of social justice coming and also recognize that, in this specific case, that's a tough situation for that officer. Uh, you know, either this girl gets stabbed mm-hmm. or you neutralize the situation the way that you were trained to, I assume. And my the thing that gets me is that we've been having this conversation for the last two years. We've had this conversation so many times on this podcast where we go, maybe the police need to be retrained or 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 you know, new tactics need to be learned or some things need to be reformed and but then in this case, people are saying how highly trained police officers are and he shouldn't have done this and he should have grabbed his taser or should he maced her and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, maybe he did exactly what he was trained to do. You know, so in that case, we've been saying this for years about how the police are being trained wrong and handling people wrong and there's no trust in the community and they're being militarized. And he's, I, I, I believe it seems like that officer felt like he had a, or had no choice but to stop that girl from stabbing that other girl. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I I didn't think that was a controversial stance to have about the the situation. If you watch the video, but Mm -hmm. I mean, apparently it is, you know, like I think I don't see how you can't understand how somebody could go, man, that girl was 16 years old. That's so tragic. And also go like, I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough one. That's a tough spot to be. And I don't know, like, what if that was your mom or your, you know, you put, if you play that game about it, you know, mm-hmm. and not to say play a game, I'm not trying to belittle what happened, but I'm just saying like, that's a tough one, you know, absolutely rest in peace to Micaiah Bryant. But I like to try to be as consistent as possible in the same way when that young man was shot in Chicago last week or two weeks ago, whenever it happened and the video came out, mm-hmm. that's the same thing I said. I said, when they said he was, Oh, the, you know, they start finding pictures and he's a Latin King and he had a tattoo and this, I go, you didn't know that when you shot him. Yeah. And I don't know if this officer knows that this girl is 16 and she called the police and they were trying to jump her. And he doesn't know that when he arrives on the scene, mm-hmm. all he sees is somebody with a knife trying to stab somebody. So it's a tough one. It's a tough situation. Right. And I think that people really need to uh, really ask themselves what their intention is when they call the police. Right. As fucked up as that sounds, we've been shown case by case, by we should be, we've been shown many a times what the police what the role of the police is in this country. And like I said, I try to be consistent with my thoughts and my thoughts when that lady called the police on that black dude, because his dog was off the leash or or her dog was off the leash. And so he was asking her to put her dog back on the leash. So she called the police on him and everybody's going, we all know what you thought you were doing when you called the police. You thought the police would come. They'd be on your side. They'd 
do who knows what to this guy. He could have lost his life dealing with the police. So if that's my feelings when I see that people are weaponizing the police, what do I think the police are? Mm. So in that situation, when you call the police, what I want people to really think about when you call the police, what are, what are you looking for to happen? Because what's happening is uh, somebody in boots with a gun is going to show up on the scene. And so you need to be prepared and understand that this is not the de-escalation phone number, mm. you know? And I go into this further in my story, but, you know, um, I watched a really crazy video. The, the, this couple was renting a, a food storage unit mm. at a place. I saw that. And, yeah, and the uh, the owner of the building was being all antagonizing and aggressive. That was wild. And then all of a sudden, he just pulls a gun out of these people, crazy. right? Yeah. And so the, the husband jumps up, keeps the dude's arm down, and when his his wife calls the police, she runs out and stops them at the door to let them know, hey, please don't shoot my husband. Yeah. He is in there. There's a gun. There's, you know, this is what black people have to do in this country when you when, when you deal with the police, and it is it, it it can feel sketchy, right? So I don't know what, I don't know what, like a police officer shows up on the scene. We know the, the, the tension and, and the, 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 the tactics that police use regarding black people in this country. And there's somebody about to stab somebody. And I don't know, I don't know how else that's supposed to go. Yeah. I speaking, just, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, speaking on that video, that video fucked me up a little bit for a couple of days because. The, the, the couple. The couple, because yeah. everything in that video is how most black people feel every day. Yeah. You have a, 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 a white American person that just wanted to. Antagonize, shoot kill. Shoot you for no reason. Yeah, yeah. And in the same the same timeline, you have the police come in, you got to go, hey. The people that you called to yeah. to help. You go, hey, look, it's not us. You know, we called the police, but look, don't shoot. She, go, she goes, don't shoot my husband. Absolutely. That's crazy. Yeah. that's And that shit is, 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 is exhausting. And it's like, it, that shit, that's why I was like, man, I got to take I gotta take a break from just being on scene and shit. Because I, I just couldn't deal with it no more. I really couldn't. And I fully understand. And I fully understand the emotion behind that. This is not, we're not two white frat dudes talking from a place of not understanding. Yeah. I feel all the emotions when I see black bodies laying in the streets. Yeah. I think it's tragic that that girl's dead, you know? But I mean, as far as policing is today, mm -hmm. there has been no major police reform. There's been no police abolition. Police are who they've been for generations as it stands right now. Yeah. So when you call the police as it stands today... And they show up and somebody's lunging at somebody with a knife. I don't know in my mind any other way that that goes. Whether, and, and, and we can bring up scenarios where uh, I can pull up a, a video of they let this kid go and Kyle Rittenhouse and Dylan Roof. And, and I understand that. Yes, there is a thing called confirmation bias, right? Like you can we can say like, oh, he didn't shoot her, but or he shot her, but they didn't shoot this. Here's a video of them not shooting this person. But you can find videos of them shooting another person that doesn't look like uh, Makai Bryant. Yeah. So it's this it's this whole thing where it's like, I don't want to have a conversation about who they who they didn't do this to and who they did do this to. I'm just looking at this specific situation in Columbus, Ohio. I don't want. I'm not talking about what happened in Wisconsin or what happened in California. I'm talking about this situation that happened. I I, I mean, 
it's it's there's a lot of gray area in this situation. It's also what the media puts out. The media plays a big part of that too. Yeah. My whole point is my heart breaks for that family and everything that happened with that girl, right? My heart breaks even more. Let me play you this video because I want to play you this this uh this uh this uh thing I learned about when I was just kind of trying to understand what happened and you know really get the full details of what happened. So uh, Makai Bryant has a sister mm-hmm. named Lanaya. They both live in that foster home. Mm-hmm. A month before this happened, Lanaya called the police and said, I don't want to be in this foster home anymore. If you don't get me out of here, I'm going to kill one of these people in here. It's, 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 cra- it's crazy, right? Now, if the, if the child services or social services or whatever had done their job and removed them from an unsafe situation... Makaya Bryant would be alive today. I'm upset about the, the multiple systems that failed this girl that led to them having to call people in boots with guns when it, when it escalated to the point beyond when, what this girl was trying to stop a month ago. 911 caller is Janaya Bryant. Makaya Bryant. Janaya, sorry, I said Lanaya, Janaya. Who lived at the same foster home. She called police on March 28th. She told dispatcher she's lived there for over a year. What's going on? Why do you want to leave? Me and my sister got in a fight. I don't want to be here anymore. Told Janaya they do not set up new placement. Quote: The victim then became irate and stated that if she does not get to leave, then she was going to kill someone in the home. End quote. She was then transported to Children's Hospital for psychological evaluation. That call about a fight comes less than a month before the fight. Makaya's mom Paula tells me Janaya was there on Tuesday. Since November, there have been seven 911 calls from the house. Damn. On November 8th, 2020, the foster mom called because a 13-year-old ran away from the house. The child returned on the 11th. On December 9th, 2020, the foster mom called because her 10-year-old foster son was knocking things off the Christmas tree and yelling. A few hours later that day, she called back and asked officers to come back and remove the child and take him to Children's Outpatient. March 28th of this year is when Janiah called for a fight. On April 8th this year, the foster mom called because a 13-year-old foster child ran away and then returned. On April 15th, the foster mom called because someone shot a gun inside her neighbor's home. On April 17th, the foster mom called because a car was hit by a bullet. And- so it was um, out of control over there. It was very out of control out of there, and both Janiah and her sister as well probably had the same sentiment. Makai yeah. didn't call the police on March 28th. Her sister did, but I have to assume they, they had the same sentiments about wanting to get out of that foster home, right? So the foster system in Columbus, Ohio, failed these two girls. Uh, it Things escalated after probably the whole year of them living there, things being contentious and arguments and spats and fights and yeah. everything. And then it escalated to a point after they called and asked for help and nobody was able to get them out of the situation. A month later, a fight broke out, you know, and there's adults on the scene. Nobody, there's a bunch of people that failed Micaiah Bryant that day. There were adults out there that could have told her, hey, man, the police are coming. Give me the knife. I think it was too late for that. That's what I mean. It it just, it just had escalated beyond. It just was, it just was a situation that had boiled way out of control. Yeah. And, um, I don't know what you do in that situation. You pull up on the scene and there's a girl brandishing a knife around yeah going after two people i just you know 
Now, what are you, what are you saying? You saying you don't disagree or you can't come up with an argument to go, you know, what else the office is supposed to do? I'm saying I think that there was just cause for him to intervene. But I feel like maybe four shots was excessive. Oh, for sure. It, it, it definitely was. And, 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 but I'm, I'm not the – I don't know. You know, I've done some research on taser efficiency, and it's not very it's not high. high. It's not that. very high. I think anybody should know that. But there are people saying things like, oh, you know – Have you seen people rip tasers off? Yes. I don't think he had time to go like, well, let me switch to the mace. Or In the time of him making that decision, that girl could have got stabbed. I think um, – that's this is a hard one. I think this is probably one of the most tough, toughest one that we talked about that that came up where you go, you know what? For and to, if it was me, sure, that's a that, that's a tough situation. You got somebody with a gun because then they can go because if he if he used the taser and it didn't work or if he didn't shoot the gun, then we, we or or we would have been like, hold on, let me finish. Oh, we would have been like, you know, we would have been like, okay, now the other girls did. Why didn't why didn't he do this? Yeah, and now we're like. Why should we call the police at all? Yeah. Then we back at square one all over again, saying the same thing again on the other side of on the other side of the coin, going, "Hey, we called him and they didn't do nothing." Yeah. Or another hypothetical, since you know this is all hypothetical because it played out the way that it played out. Yeah. He has his gun out. He hesitates for a second. She stabs that girl, and then he shoots Makaya Bryant. Yeah. So what if that girl gets stabbed? She dies, and yeah. Makaya Bryant dies. Now two black women are dead in the street. Yeah. Because he, you know hesitated or fast yeah you know so uh, again i feel like like i keep trying to say i don't feel like having this stance is mutually exclusive to having empathy and and sympathy for makai bryant and her family and and the situation i think it's absolutely tragic that her foster family if they are even close i don't even know what the situation in the house was it sounds kind of contentious but there was a lot of emotion on the scene i have to assume they cared for makai bryant she was in their house they had to see that happen right in front of them. I f- that's all tragic to me. But at the same time, if we can't start from a point of like, you understand that's a difficult situation for that police officer to be in, and that's right. Like, sure. if you if you can't just give somebody that in a conversation, then we just have to agree to disagree. The job is like that. The whole that's the whole point of being a police officer. It's all very intense, very you know pressure, high pressure. It's just it's that that was that was a tough one, man. That was a tough. One. That's my whole my whole my whole point is that if. Um, I think people's argument in to to what you just said is that like, well, that's the whole point. Policing shouldn't be like that, and and I and I can agree with that. I think there does need to be retraining and some things need to be unlearned. And I go into that further in, in my story this week, like I said. But policing is it is what it is as it stands right now. Mm-hmm. So as it stands, this is not some you know, idea of what we think policing should be that we're talking about. We're talking about policing as it stands right now. The thing that people have been complaining about for years, that's who showed up on the scene. And I think that he did what he's trained to do. And again, I don't know this guy. I have no reason to defend this guy. They could look this guy's Facebook up and he might be the biggest fucking racist in the world. Yeah. But the same way I go, you didn't know that about the young man in, in Chicago, Adam Toledo. The same way I say that about Adam Toledo, they didn't know he had a Latin Kings tattoo when they showed up on the scene and this, that, and the third. I don't know anything about this police officer. It's just this very complicated situation that happened. I don't know how that's a controversial stance, but I couldn't, I didn't want to not say anything because a young lady is dead. And I think that that's absolutely sad, regardless of how it's received. You know, Um, I remember the first episode of this podcast is on Patreon. Uh, I said something because of how I was raised. 
the story was about a woman named Michelle Blair who abused her children and killed them. Because of how I was raised in, you know, uh, I always get the two mixed up. Uh, uh, corporal punishment, I believe, is the proper term, like beating your kids. That's just like normal. I don't want to say in black households, but I mean, in a lot of black households, it's pretty normal. It's not some, you know, uh, timeouts and, you know, yeah. you my want them to whip my ass. Yeah. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, you know, that's, that's very common in, in, in black households, at least for my generation. Maybe hopefully now, you know, people are going to a different direction to talk to their kids and try to reason with their kids. And I, I, I fully understand that. But at the time when we're doing that podcast, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm saying like she definitely went too far, yeah. but you know everybody, you it's know, personal be, experience. Yeah, it's per, it was my personal experience, and I understand that my personal experience in regards to discussing that topic clouded my understanding of what's wrong and what's right. And I learned from that. I took a lot of backlash from that, and I grew from it. And I think that it made me a better podcaster. Now, three years, four years later, however long it is today, I still am a person who. I'm going to speak how I feel. And in this situation, I mean, I'm sure there are people who emotionally or even like feel like they have some logic to tell me why I'm wrong or why I'm, you know, uh, you know, being a bootlicker or whatever the thing is that people will probably say. But that's but but my my problem is that's that's what it, the problem is now is we go you have your stance on one thing. Uh-huh. And somebody goes, eh, you're wrong. Then we bump heads. Then we bump heads, and yeah. then it's like, now it it, it causes um, difficulty between two people. I just I just think if you go, I believe in this, and somebody else go, I believe in this. That's okay. Yeah. You talk about it. You give your reason. I give my reason, and then we we go on our way. Absolutely. Well, well, two points to what you just said. One, the the argument to that for some people is to go to the most extreme thing. Like, well, if you believe that, I don't think Nazis should be able to just believe whatever they want to believe. And it's like, okay, well, if you want to, if you're going to go to there, you're, you're adding things to this conversation that, that puts us at a dead stop. Right. Cause I have no argument towards that. Right. But in this case, I think two people can both feel the same level of remorse and mm -hmm. one person go, no police is justified and ever shooting somebody and there should be consequences and all that. And then another person go, I mean, in a lot of cases I agree with you, but in this case, I don't agree with you and it not turn into an argument, but that's fine though. But it's, but the thing is to my second point is that people don't have conversations today to have conversations. People have conversations to win. Okay. There yeah, has to, to be a to, winner to, yeah. and, a, and a loser in the yeah. conversation. I need to own you. I need to destroy you in a conversation. There can, a conversation can never end in just like, well, I guess we just have to yeah. agree to disagree. Like, you know, we're not going to be on the same pace this, but I heard what you said and I take some points from what you said and you heard what I said and you take some yeah. points from what I said. And maybe at some point, either you of learn. us, either, either of us grow and change our perspective a bit, right. but I, this conversation doesn't have to end in like you were right. And now I believe what you believe yeah. now. Yeah. That just doesn't have to be that way. My stance is, I think it's absolutely tra tragic that Micaiah Bryant is, is no longer alive. Right. I also think that's a tough situation for a police officer to be in, and, and, and it's a split-second decision. And I think all of those things can be thought. Yeah. I don't think that it's like you can't think all of those things at once. You yeah. can't think like, well, maybe he shouldn't have shot her that many times, or you know, maybe he could have done this, but we don't know how that played. We can all play Monday morning quarterback, and, well, what if he would have used the taser and or instead? And we can all do that, but that's not how it played out. And so 
you know, the the question is like, do you understand why he did what he did? As far as like trying to stop the situation from happening. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's and my easy. my answer is my answer is yeah. It's, I, it's, I, in hindsight, it's easy to have this conversation for everybody go, he should have did this, he should have did that, you know, why he did this and why he did that. Yeah. I mean, but you put on that fucking uniform because ain't no what because I wouldn't know what the fuck to do. I wouldn't be I couldn't be a police officer anyway. No. But into let alone be in that situation, that's 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 tough, man. Yeah. That's that's uh that's that's the that's the bow I have for this conversation. But like I said, my my kind of my it's not really a story. These themes and topics do come up again, so we'll be having this conversation again in a couple of minutes. Like I said, we're gonna do the shout outs at the end of the episode just because who wants to roll off of talking about a girl losing her life into, you know, a song and, and talking about names. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into my affirmative murder story this week. So stick around. All right. And we are back. Fran, uh, my affirmative murder this week, as I said, is a little different. Uh, I chose to tell a brief uh, history of the invention of the American police as we know them today mm-hmm. and the inception of them in this country. Uh, my source was a New York Times article by a woman named Jill Lepore. The police as a civil force with given authority to deter crime came to the United States from England and is generally associated with the monarchy keeping the king's peace, which makes it surprising that in the anti-monarchical U.S., it got so big so fast. The reason is mainly, Fran, slavery. Abolish the police as a rallying cry dates back to 1988. But long before anyone called for the abolition of the police, someone had to invent them. The ancient Greek word for, for polis, which is Greek for city, was described by Hannah Arden in the book The Human Condition as to be political or, and to live in a polis, which is a city, meant that everything was decided through words and persuasion and not through force and violence. Uh, and polis is actually one of the words that the word police is derived from. Polis. Again, it just means city. No, it's P-O-L-I-S. It's Latin, and it just means city. In the polis, men argued and debated as equals under the rule of law. Outside of the polis, in households, men dominated women, children, servants, and slaves under the rule of force. Kings asserted a rule of force over their subjects on the idea that their kingdom was their household. And with a police-like force imposing their will, Kings could force subjects to conform their general behavior to the rules of their property, uh, good neighborhood and good manners and be decent, industrious and inoffensive in their respective stations. So basically, kings were like, y'all live in my house. So y'all are going to do what I tell y'all to do. That's basically what a king once did, Mm. as opposed to having, you know, uh, a democracy where people have a say in their life and can, you know, vote and things like that. A king was like. This all this I land is mine. Yeah. So y'all are gonna do what I say. And yeah. if I catch you stealing tomatoes, I'm gonna cut your hand off, or you're gonna Tomato. go in the stockades or anything like that. Because those are my rules, and yeah. they're being in, enforced by the king's men, mm-hmm. which were the police of the time. Yeah. The American Revolution toppled the power of the king had over his people. In America, the law is king. This is a quote from uh, uh Thomas Paine. He also wrote, but not the power of a man over his family. Under the rule of law, people are equals. Under the rule of police, we are not. This is according to a legal theorist named uh, Marcus Dubber. 
We are more like the women, children, servants, and slaves in the households in ancient Greece, the people who were not allowed to be part of the polis. But for centuries, through struggles for independence, emancipation, enfranchisement, and equal rights, we've been fighting to enter the polis. So basically, just so the polis is just representing equality and being seen the same as those white men who used to sit at those tables. Mm -hmm. All of these fights have been happening for equality. Jill Lepore poses the idea to think about abolishing the police as an argument that once people are finally able to claw their way into the polis or an equal and just society, that police are then obsolete. But that is not the country that we currently live in in many regards. So the idea basically is of behind the uh, abolish the police, at least in one regard, I'm sure there's many different schools of abolish the police, but some people feel like if everybody was, if we, if we decided to focus on getting people on equal footing, you know, ending mass poverty, you know, allowing people to find true prosperity in this country, there would be no longer a need for police as we see them because yeah. the everyday crimes that are kind of the byproduct of unjust systems would no longer be happening in such high volumes that we need uh, boots on the ground and a militarized type of police, per se, right? The crisis policing is the accumulation of a thousand other failures of education, social services, public health, gun regulation, criminal justice, and economic development. Police have a lot in common with firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics. They're there to help, often at great sacrifice, and by placing themselves in harm's way. But to say that this doesn't always work out, however, does not begin to cover the size of the problem in policing. The victims of police brutality are disproportionately black teenage boys, children. To say that many good and, and admirable people are police officers, dedicated and brave public servants, which is, of course, true, is to fail to address the nature and the scale of the crisis and the legacy of centuries of racial injustice. So this was the thing I was trying. I think I might even cut this out from last week's episode when I was trying to say, like, I have family members in policing and I feel like they're good people. Right. But what does that have to do with who they are under the system that they work for? So if my uncle lets me get the big piece of chicken when I come to his house or he's funny and tells great jokes or whatever, what he's a good person. I know he come pick my grandmother up, take her to get groceries, all those things. What does it matter if the badge that they serve is teaching them to do a whole different thing than what we feel like they are as people? Mm -hmm. And I was trying to put that in the words last week, and I don't think I did it properly, and I might have cut it out. But that's what I was trying to say. Like, I know people who are police officers, and I go, my godfather's a police officer. Yeah. He's an awesome dude. Yeah. I don't know him as a, he's never pulled me over. I don't know how he does his job. I don't even know what his job demands of him. I don't know what they tell each other when they go to step out. So how I feel about him as a person is kind of irrelevant to what he is under the, the blue wall that they all subscribe to yeah. as a crew. They move as a crew. The best people with the best intentions doing their utmost cannot fix this system from within. And often the system has a way of weeding out detractors as to only leave subscribers of the original doctrine in positions of power. As we just talked about last week when I was talking about that, uh, that lady from Buffalo, New York, uh, who stopped an officer. She was a police officer and she stopped another officer from choking somebody and they fired her, you know, got rid of her pension, blackballed her from being a police officer. And she had to fight for, you know, like a decade to get her stuff reinstated. So it's like when you, when you talk about accountability within this field, that's not something that they want. They want people who come and just ride with the team. 
Yeah. Don't ask questions. Don't 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 be uh, contradictory to what we're saying. You gotta you you gotta you gotta go with the team. And those people who don't do that don't move up to positions of power, and a lot of times are forced out, and no longer a police. So you know, accountability is kind of hard to come across when you're weeding out the people who try to do that. <clears throat> there are nearly seven hundred thousand police officers in the United States. About two for every thousand people, a rate that is lower than the European average. The difference is guns. American police are armed to the teeth with more than seven billion dollars worth of surplus military equipment offloaded by the Pentagon to 8000 law enforcement agencies since 1997. At the same time, they face the most heavily armed civilian population in the world. One in three Americans owns a gun and typically more than one. A study found that given the ravages of stress, white male police officers in Buffalo have a life expectancy uh, 22 years shorter than average for an American citizen. So two important things there in what I just said, right? One, our tax dollars, which fund wars and occupation in other countries, turn around and further arm militarized police factions within our own country to you know, keep the thumb down on American citizens and, and occupy neighborhoods, pre predominantly poor black and brown neighborhoods in this country. They're, they're literally w dressed for war. They have war equipment on. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's tax dollars spent, and the surplus goes to militarizing the police. So that's one. Two, police communication in this country has eroded so much due in large part to the militarization of police. Cause I remember as a kid, I like, I knew a few police, not just saying family members, but like I went to a PAL center. I don't know if PAL center still exists, but there's just, there's been this, whether it's a uh, lack of trust in police or police feeling like they need to separate themselves more to feel, you know, like they have more power or I don't know what, what the disconnect was that led to this, this mistrust that we're at now, but where we stand now, uh, people are not only scared of the police, but police are scared of the public that they signed up to serve. So there's this constant, like everybody's tense. I don't trust you. The police don't trust me. I don't know what you're going to do. So, and then, and then there's weapons. It's, I try to say this as much as possible because we are critical of police in a lot of circumstances, justifiably, but it's not a job I envy at all. Yeah. I, and, and, and to, to, you know, it's a difficult job to do. I don't want bullets being shot. I don't, I would never sign up to have bullets shot at me, you know, ever. So I understand that it's a difficult job, but I also understand that accountability is crucial. And we might be in a situation now where reform is the only way to change things. And that, I don't think that that reform is possible for the, for the police departments to do themselves. Mm. I don't know how you reform yourself when you're at this position and in, in this time in the country, I don't know how you do it. Like, I don't know if you're equipped to do that. The debate about policing also has to do with all the money that's spent paying heavily armed agents of the state to do things that they aren't trained to do and that other institutions would be better at. This point is a strong argument made by the by proponents of abolishing the police. Fund social services better, get children out of dangerous situations, and Micaiah Bryant would be alive today, as I stated earlier in this episode. She was failed in many systems before that day even happened. If we had situations and systems operating better, Micaiah Bryant would not be in that situation.
So using those tax dollars for other resources. Using those tax dollars to fund child protective services, yeah. social services, child placement, being able to send a social worker to get a kid out of a situation yeah. that they're asking you to, to take them out of. Yeah. Really, it's like what really the reality of that situation is Micaiah and her sister were in a bad situation. They called to ask to be taken out of that situation, and they didn't have anywhere to send them. Yeah. So they go, well, you just got to deal with it until we find somewhere else to place you. Yeah, well, police off police forces don't need robots and tanks. It was something we discussed last <laughs> week. That's crazy, bro. When I saw, still to this day, that was like literally a Black Mirror episode. There's a Black Mirror episode where there's attack dogs, mm. like robot attack dogs. They look exactly like those dogs. And then to see it like just in a neighborhood yeah. was like, wow, the money that could that could have went to in this neighborhood, you know? So, and most of the stuff's not even being used. Like it's like sitting in a storage somewhere, and yeah. Um, what it, it was, it's sitting in a storage area being paid for instead of instead of helping the socioeconomic situations in these neighborhoods until these neighborhoods fester and boil over or something happens like uh, a Freddie Gray or, 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 or a Laquan McDonald or a Philando Castillo. And then there's civil unrest. And then it's like, OK, we'll break out all the toys. Yeah. You know, can't wait to use it. Can't wait to use those toys. But with those, that money could be going to preventing these situations from happening. Yeah. You know, funding schools, funding after school programs, funding, uh, you know, job programs, all kinds of stuff. Instead, a lot of this money is going to policing and equipment that's not being used until civil unrest happens. So as I just stated, and as I've stated probably 50 times in this episode, um, um, instead of funding these problems, the problem is treated like a can that is kicked down the road to handle later. And when the situation is intensified, the only solution that somebody has is to call a guy with a gun. This topic of debate also has a long history. That history begins in England in the 13th century when maintaining the king's peace became the duty of an officer of the court called a constable, aided by his watchman. Every male adult could be called on to take a turn walking a neighborhood at night and if trouble came intervene until help arrived the practice lasted for centuries and can still be seen in things like neighborhood watch and citizens arrests much like the one that led to the murder of Trayvon Martin by George Zimmerman these types of watches can be dangerous now but were even more ineffective at their inception in, Eng in English colonies for reasons is that still a thing after Trayvon Martin citizens arrest People still make people still, still make, yeah people still make citizens arrest that's yeah crazy. for sure people still make citizens arrest there's still neighborhood watch and I understand that neighborhood idea. watch I yeah that. neighborhood watch I understand but like yeah no you can citizens arrest people people try to make citizens arrest all the time people okay. try to stop you from living your life and hold you until the police come this happens all the time that's what a Karen is at least some of them that's some of them what that's what they're doing is like you're not allowed to cut your grass at six o'clock in the morning so I'm gonna stand in front of your lawnmower and I'm gonna call the police that's a citizens arrest if they want to call it you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so one of the reasons that uh, this tactic of citizens watching type of situations was ineffective was, or at least for the time in the English colonies, was that rich men would pay poor men to take their turns on the watch, which meant that the most, that most watchmen were either very elderly or very poor and very exhausted from working a long day. But people in, higher positions in society didn't feel like doing the work. Okay. So they passed it on to somebody else mm. who was not in a position to do the job to the best of their ability. Cause they had 50 other jobs they were doing, or they've been working their whole life and 
they shouldn't be out here trying to fight crime. Yeah. So because of rich constables' dereliction of their duties and passing them on to lower class and elderly people, a reputation of a failure of the current system was born. From that reputation, the idea of a void and safety grew, and in came aggressive white militias to fill that void. Boston established a watch in 1631. New York tried paying watchmen in 1658. And in Philadelphia in 1705, the governor expressed the view that militias could make the cities safer than the watch could. But militias weren't supposed to police the king's subjects. They were supposed to serve the common defense. That common defense, you asked, Fran, was waging war against the French, fighting native people who were trying to hold on to their lands, or suppressing slave rebellions. These were the crimes of the time. Mm -hmm. This is what, this is basically starting to be the inception of what police is as we know today. Their job was basically any able-bodied white man with a gun because of the current system of uh, constables and watchmen had this reputation of being shitty because they had old men and people who worked all day doing it because the rich people who were supposed to be doing it fucked off their duty. Here came a bunch of like citizens who were cool with doing citizen's arrests and had their guns and had their little crews of people forming together who didn't want to see slaves rebelling, loved killing Native American people, and hated the French. And so these crews of people were given authority by the government to do so. The government of slavery was not rule of law. It was the rule of police. In 1661, the English territoristically occupied country, also known as a colony, for a better word that they would use, a colony, something that they occupied and took over the people's, the native people's land. And, Is that stole? Yes, yeah, stolen land, but they call it a colony. Right. Uh, the colony of Barbados passed its first slave law. It decreed that Negroes and other slaves were wholly unqualified to be governed by the laws of our nation. So basically they were saying like, they can't follow the same laws that uh, that white men. They can't. They, that, that's not fair to us. So they devised instead a special new set of rules for the good regulating and ordering of them. Virginia adopted similar measures known as the slave codes in 1680, which read as such, it shall not be lawful for any Negro or other slave to carry or arm himself with any club, staff, gun, sword, or any other weapon of defense or offense, nor go or depart from his master's grounds without a certificate from his master, mistress, or overseer. And such permission not be granted but upon particular and necessary uh, occasions. And that if any Negro or other slave shall absent himself from his master's service and lie hid and lurking in obscure places, committing injuries to the inhabitants, and shall resist any person or persons that shall by any lawful authority be employed to apprehend and take said Negro, that then in such a resistance it shall be lawful for such a person or persons to kill the said Negro or slave so lying and resisting. So basically, in short, what I just said was comply or die Yeah. at the hand of just about anybody who sees fit. You know, so you talk about citizen's arrest. People could just go like, I, I saw some uh, slaves running away from a house in the woods. I'm going to try to take them back to where they came from. And if they don't go with me willingly, you can kill them. So are these people are not employed by the king. No, well, not, well this is America they, at this point. But okay, yeah, but yeah. 
they are not they're not they don't have the title though. They are just they don't have a title yet, but they are basically like uh, hired hands. Like they they don't have a title. They are not uh, technically a thing. They are just right. malicious. They're That's, just malicious of citizens, but they have kind of like the wink and the nod from the from the United States government yeah. to do whatever, what they, they whatever they want to help handle whatever you know Native American people trying to take their land back, slaves trying to rebel and get away from being slaves. To in order to curtail these situations, any able-bodied white men who want to you know rally together and take care of that stuff, you know, you're cool. We hire you. Yeah, you're you're, yeah, you're good to do that. So they are being paid. Mm, not yet. So like, this is like it's, it's like a pure, it's a passion project. So this is like, oh, I want to join. Sure. Oh, no, it's like, I'm already like, a militia. We're already, mali- we have meetings every Sunday. We're already like the clan, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah but is it is it like ads in a newspaper going like, hey, we need people or? That I don't know. Oh. But I mean, it could it could be just as simple as like, we're already practicing shooting targets and we do this anyway. And we hate slaves and Native American people. So we'll just do this because we love it. But we need your blessing so that we don't get in trouble for doing what we're doing. So what is the idea of the whole thing? So what what is the main objective? What I'm trying to ask. Are they going- to quote unquote peacekeep. Hmm. To keep white people safe from the others. Okay. So it's a cult kind of? I don't know if it's a cult. I mean, no, I wouldn't say it was a cult. I mean, I guess, sure. I mean, now we know it as the police, but I guess, uh, sure. But if you go, hey, we want to do this, will you join? He go, yeah. Ain't cool with me. Sure. I mean, you can call it a cult. That's fine. Hmm. That's that's fine. Is being a Nazi a cult? I don't know. Like it's one of those kind of things. Like I feel like uh, I ain't gonna speak on that. But I don't know. Like I don't know. Like it's 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 a militia. It's an army. It's a it's a rebel. It's a force. I don't. I don't know what the proper term for it is, but they're definitely indoctrinated in some kind of way. They have their beliefs that are, you know, all like minded and yeah. But that's, so, but so yeah. I mean, but I, they're I, not being compensated. That's why I'm like, you know, why? You know, it's why purely, they, it's purely they just for the love of hate. Jesus. They just love to. We want. We don't. We want white. We want our families, our white families, to be safe from these savages, and so, the, and so the watchmen and the constables aren't doing a good job. So we'll do it ourselves. Mm. Essentially, in 18th century New York, a person held as a slave could not gather in a group of more than three, could not ride a horse, could not hold a funeral at night, and could not be out an hour after sunset without a lantern, which is just weird, and could not sell a lantern. Yeah, I don't don't know why (laughs) that's such a weird thing to add to. Like, what is that? That's, That's crazy. Uh, it's just like a reason to. It's the same thing of like. Um, I can't imagine walking people walking around with a fucking like a, a torch <laughs> with like a, a little box with a yeah. light in it. Yeah, it's, it's insane. But also like that that little addition is one of those kind of things where it's like um, you can see similarities in that today where it's like you're not allowed to have an air freshener hanging hanging from your. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to have an air freshener hanging from your um, your rear view mirror. It's just a thing to be like. Well, I know you have your you have your uh, authority from your slave master to be out. But where's your lantern? Yeah. That's against the law. Come with me. You know, like it's a thing to like, it's probable cause. It's the early yep. inception of probable yeah, cause. Yeah. You know, like it's a reason to go, well, you didn't do this so I can jam you up. Yeah. But also on top of all those things that I said, they, uh, 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 black people were also not allowed to sell Indian corn, which I don't know what that is, hmm. peaches or any other fruit in any street market or in any street or market in the city, which is probably just a way to make sure they don't make any money. Well, 
So when taxes come in or some shit? No, just to keep them disenfranchised. Oh. Like we don't. The only way you oh. can make money mm. is to is to be a slave or yeah. to be like a, an indentured servant. If you are free, you need to work for doing sharecropping or something. Like you can't just like be uh, you can't be uh what's the word? You can't be an entrepreneur. Mm. You can't sell fruit or sell. You can't be sell goods. Like that's not a job you're allowed to have. You only can do the jobs that benefit us as a country and help build our wealth, which is farming, picking cotton. What is what we did? Yeah. To build this country. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, South Carolina, founded by slave owners from Barbados, Mm. authorized its first slave patrol in 1702. Virginia followed in 1726, North Carolina in 1753. Slave, but this is to answer some of your questions. Slave patrols married the watch to the militias. Mm. So the watch was the people that get paid, yeah. but they weren't doing a good job. And the militias were the freelance people. So basically the slave patrols... It's not like it should be the opposite, though. What do you mean? Just based on the title, it's not like the militia would be... Well, that's what they're saying. That I mean, that's what the militias were saying. Yeah. We should be doing this job. Yeah. <laughs> and they and eventually, they. I mean, eventually it did work. Yeah. So now what you have is the militias and the watchmen combining forces to become slave patrol, and now it is a job. Mm. They combine the responsibilities now to get paid for. Yes, but it's mostly just the militia. It's not like, oh, it was 50% watchmen and 50% militia. The militias overwhelmingly were slave patrollers. Oh. Was, were anybody just living life? I don't know. It feel like At everybody, this time? It feel like, no. It feel like everybody was just like looking for something to go down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, basically, yeah. No, at this time, there was nobody like, oh, there's a book club or, you know, like. What year was this? This is the 1700s. Uh, this is um, 17, 1753 is when slave patrols um, became 1700? a thing. Yep. It's hard, for, it's hard for me to believe people be around now. Yeah, there's nobody just like, you know, I'm I'm retired early. <laughs> And, you know, I'm just living off of, you know, my savings. Yeah, like shit else to do. Know, like I'm build, building log cabins and all kind of just crazy shit. They're always just doing shit. And then you die when you're like 46. Mm. Diseases and shit. Yeah, like some old, like, dysentery. Like some disease that now is just like you just take a pill for. Yeah. Yeah. Like consumption. I don't, people don't die from that? that anymore. I don't even, I think it's like tuberculosis. I don't even know. I could oh. be wrong. I don't know. I don't know words. That's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. Just walking around, just fucking with people? Yeah, basically, yeah. Well, not all people. Very specific people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, like I said, so um, neither the watch nor the militia nor the the slave patrols were, quote-unquote, the police of this time. Who, those were, those people were French and considered tyrannical. So there was a police force, but they were anti-American. Like, these forces were fighting the police. Because they were enforcing the king's rules. American people were like, we left there to be free from this. So this is bullshit. So, so Confederacy? The t- no, no, no. Oh. Just Americans. Oh. They left. You know, Americans were English people, and then they left. I thought you were saying that they were a group going against the Americans, the people that was enforcing the king's laws. That's what I thought you... Well, those people doing. aren't American. Those people are French. French. Okay, got you. Yes. Okay, got The American okay. people yeah, were yeah, like, yeah. why the hell are these French police yeah, yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. And then they started making their own kind of, you know militias and teams and slave patrols and things like that. And one of the jobs of those people was to go against the French police. Mm. In 1779, Thomas Jefferson created a chair in law and police at the college of William and Mary. The meaning of the word began to change. This is when the word police began to take shape in the English language as we know it today. It began to be stated that police keep peace and justice punishes or Justice punishes disorder. 
Police were responsible for the regulation and correction of behavior and, quote, the prevention and detection of crimes. So this is kind of became what police was known as as time went on. It is also often said that modern American urban policing began in 1838 when the Massachusetts legislature authorized the hiring of police officers in Boston. This, too, ignores the role of slavery in the history of the police. In 1829, a black abolitionist in Boston named David Walker published an appeal to the colored citizens of the world, calling for violent rebellion. Walker was found dead within the year, and Boston thereafter had a series of mob attacks against abolitionists, including an, attempted, an attempt to lynch William Lloyd Garrison, the publisher of The Liberator. This is like some white guy who was like, hey guys, people shouldn't be slaves. That's not cool. And they were like, as soon as tension started rising, they were like, kill that dude. <laughs> Like they, Damn, you know, they got him out of there. well, they tried to. Oh, they tried to. Walker's words terrified Southern slave owners, and uh, the governor of North Carolina wrote to his state senators, "I beg you will lay this matter before the police of your town and invite their prompt attention to the necessity of arresting the circulation of the book." And by police, he meant slave patrols. In response to Walker's appeal. North Carolina formed statewide patrol committee. So as soon as there was this idea that slavery was people were like, fuck being a slave. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just start killing these motherfuckers. Then that's when uh, slave patrols and policing started to shoot up to try to qualm and, 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 and put the kibosh on things before they really got to a point where people started fighting back against slavery. Yeah. New York established a police department in 1844. New Orleans and Cincinnati followed in 1852. Mm. Then, later in the 1850s, Philadelphia, Chicago, and Baltimore followed suit. Population growth, the widening inequality brought on by the Industrial Revolution, and the rise in such crimes as sex work and burglary all contributed to the emergence of urban policing. So did immigration, especially from Ireland and Germany. And the hostility to immigration, a new party known as the as the Know Nothings, sought to prevent immigrants from voting. The Know Nothings. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that's, I think that's the way of being like, we're just everyday American people. We're not like, what do they say now? We're not like the elites. We're like everyday guys like you and me. We're just everyday working guys, and we're gonna have a party that is for the working real American. It's all shit we hear today, man. Yeah. It's all shit we hear today. Uh working the real America, the silent majority, all those terms are this is, history just constantly repeats itself because we never learn lessons, right? <laughs> so anyway, the no nothings sought to prevent immigrants from voting, holding office and becoming citizens. Very familiar to what we're experiencing today. Mm. Every you just have to look at history to know people's tactics like, you know, Demonizing immigrants has been done before. It's just that it was done before race as we know it today became as big of a factor outside of slavery, and Irish people were looked at like pieces of shit when they came at, came here. But then white skin became a currency in this country, and being Irish isn't as bad as it once was. You, you aren't an immigrant like a Mexican person is an immigrant. But once upon a time, an Irish person was looked at by an American person like, ugh, ugh. Get them the fuck out of here. Mm. They're, why are these immigrants coming here trying to take our jobs? Yeah. Those were Irish people at a point. So all this shit just, you know, it's cyclical. In 1854, Boston disbanded its ancient watch and formally established a police department. That year, no nothing swept the city's elections. 
So they took all the power positions in the city, in the state. Outside big cities, law enforcement officers were scarce. In territories that weren't yet states, there were U.S. Marshals and their deputies. Officers of federal courts who could act as de facto police, but only to enforce federal laws. If a territory became a state, its counties would, would elect sheriffs. Meanwhile, Americans became especially likely to kill indigenous peoples and to lynch people of color. Between 1840 and the 1920s, mobs, vigilantes, and law officers, including the Texas Rangers, lynched some 500 Mexicans and Mexican-Americans and killed thousands more, not only in Texas, but also in territories that, that became the states of California, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico. A San Francisco vigilance committee established in 1851 arrested, tried, and hanged people. It boasted a membership in the thousands. An L.A. vigilance committee targeted and lynched Chinese immigrants. Now, these vigilance committees are essentially the inception of the police in those areas as well. There were Police uh, departments were starting to open up in the original 13 colonies because there was more establishment there. Mm-hmm. But then as things started to move out, move out west and there was new development, these, these states weren't fully states yet. There was only a, there was a limited amount of people. They had to have some kind of American representation for their laws and the rules of the federal government. So they had these vigilance committees, but they were essentially police departments Mm -hmm. and they were basically there to get rid of the populace that was there, whether that was Mexican people, native American people, whatever it was, slaves that escaped, maybe ran to escape West to get away from, you know, persecution. They, their job of these vigilance committees was like, we're going to get them the fuck off this land so that white Christian people can come here and feel safe. Mm -hmm. That was the job of them. And as I said, like, Mexican people, black people, Chinese people, all were victims of these militias, these these vigilance committees, these police departments. This is the inception of these groups. They were meant to keep the others in order or get rid of them. Modern American policing began in 1909, Fran. As we know it, the official, like, widespread, not a couple of tests in Boston and the small departments, the, the official, like, this is how we police, 1909. It began when August Vollmer became the chief of police depo- uh, the, the chief of a police department in Berkeley, California. Vollmer refashioned American police into an American military. He had served in the 8th Army Corps in the Philippines in 1898. He once said, "For years, ever since the Spanish-American War days, I've studied military tactics and used them to good effect in rounding up crooks." He later explained, After all, we're conducting a war, a war against the enemies of society. Who were those enemies, Fran? Well, mobsters, bootleggers, socialist agitators, strikers, union organizers, immigrants, and black people. Mm. uh, Vollmer-era police enforced a new kind of slave code known as Jim Crow laws, which had been passed in the South beginning in the late 18th century and upheld by the Supreme Court in 1896. William G. Austin became Savannah's chief of police in 1907. By 1916, African-American churches in the city were complaining to Savannah newspapers about the whole-scale arrest of Negroes because they are Negroes, 
arrests that would not be made if they were white under similar circumstances. Again, things that echo and we are uh, hearing still today. When I say history repeats itself, it's just it's just a fact, you yeah. know. And I'll get to more details in my feelings of that, but like it's just so crazy to hear that oh, there was churches complaining in the 1920s, like you're just arresting me because I'm black. If I was white, you wouldn't be doing this to me. And it's like, eh, shut up. You're that's just oh, you're playing the race card. Imagine you know, like I could imagine. I hope the race card slogan didn't exist then, but like imagine somebody like being like overtly racist, but then also telling you like. Oh yeah, of course. Play the victim. Yeah, yeah. race cards. It's like, but no, like you are though. That is what's happening. Yeah. By the 1920s in Philadelphia, a quarter of those arrested were African Americans, who at the time represented just seven percent of the population. Man. So they it? were a quarter of the people who were arrested, and they were only seven percent of the population. Today, this reality has only grown worse. The number of African American and Latino people in the American jail system and prisons today exceeds the entire populations of some African, Eastern European, and Caribbean countries. I can go on, friend, but the bottom line is it is impossible to ever fully progress as a society if we can't acknowledge the fact that so much of the fabric of the American society that we know today is so deeply rooted in racist practices, and those racist roots have entangled themselves into so many aspects of our nation that some things may need to be dismantled and repurposed going forward. Those changes won't address uh, plenty of bigger crises. One major one being that the problem of policing can't be solved without addressing the problem of guns. But this much is clear. The polis has changed and the police will have to change as well. So again, I want to thank uh, Jill Lepore for being my source, she um, there were a lot of great words that she wrote in her article in the New York Times, and uh, I piggybacked off of some of those things. And you know, there was a lot more there that got you from 1920 to 2021, obviously. Mm -hmm. But you know, I didn't want to. I could I could have gone on and gone through the whole history of this country from policing starting to now, yeah, and gone through Jim Crow in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the crime bill and all these things. But I just I felt like briefing it up a bit was just for the best. If people want to, people should go. Obviously further your research and learn more. I probably, I definitely missed a lot of stuff. Again, we're no experts in things, but I've, I've, I've told people they should go and look out, look at and find out about the history of policing in this country. Mm. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to have a refresher course for myself as to say, like, you know, I think there should be re police reform. Maybe even, maybe even, you know, uh, after describing to you what police are in this country and its inception and its original purpose, if I feel like there hasn't been much of a change, they're still kind of using the same playbook, whether or not it's based in racism or, or not. They're still kind of like we're a military force. It's, it, we're, we're, we're trying to keep people in line and whatever. If this is the inception of it, maybe going, maybe we shouldn't be following this playbook anymore. Maybe we should, we need to reimagine, like people say, reimagine what a police or even a, just a new word or something, what we want to be, uh, the people that protect and serve in this country going forward, you know, and, and because this is what, um, this is what policing is. This is what policing was birthed as in this country. So when you call the police, what are you calling to expect to happen? You know, like I really want people to really ask themselves that question. Like when you call the police as they are formed today, not what you hope them to be, what you think they should be, whatever, as police have shown themselves to be in this country, 
what do you think that the, the job of the police is when you call them? Because I say if you're having a, if somebody in your family is having a mental health crisis, I would want to call somebody other than the police in that search in that circumstance because they're not trained to handle that. Mm-hmm. But as it currently sits, most states, if that happens, you're calling a person that has military boots on and a gun to solve that situation. So, you know, I don't, you know, that's all I got. Uh, any questions? No. Nah. It's a beautiful story, man. I don't even know if I should. Should I still go? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's the format, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, listen. We could cut this short. No, 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 I, I'll just. I'm already expecting. I'm already around. expecting a lot of like yeah, conversation yeah. and backlash or whatever. So yeah, but yeah, no. Yeah. My yeah. story is no way as good. That was that was great, man. Uh, Thank you, yeah, man. Um, it got super deep. Mine is not that deep. It's not as heavy as what this episode has been. Sure. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It may lighten it up a little bit. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, again, th- uh, thank you to Jill Lepore for an amazing article in the New York Times. Look it up. I suggest yeah. people read the whole thing in its totality. She did a great job, a great writer. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some fucked up shit. So stick around. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. My favorite murder this week is uh, the story of Catherine Knight. Catherine uh, Knight. Catherine Knight, she's the first Australian woman to be sentenced to life um, imprisonment without parole. Oh. Have you heard of Catherine Knight? I don't know. You have to go further into the story. I, I, the name doesn't ring a bell right now. Did she eat somebody? No, almost. Okay. All right. Well, okay. What made you think that she eats somebody? Because <laughs> a lot of the Australian stories that I'm familiar with have to do with cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, close, close. Um, Catherine Knight was born and raised in in an unconventional and dysfunctional family environment. Her mother Barbara Barbara Roffin, um, had been married to Jack Roffin, and lived with him in a small town of Aberdeen in New South Wales, Hunter Valley. So Barbara and Jack had four sons before Barbara began an adulterous relationship with Ken Knight, a friend and coworker of her husband. Mm. The Ruffin and Knight families were well-known in the conservative rural town, and the affair caused major scandal. Local, local backlash forced Barbara and Ken to leave Aberdeen to move to Moore. None of her four sons went with her. Mm. The two older boys continued to reside with their father, while the other two young sons were sent to be raised by an aunt, by an aunt in Sydney. Damn. Barbara had four additional children with Ken, including twin girls, Born in 1955 in Tenterfield, Catherine Knight was the younger of of these twin daughters. In 1959, when Kent, when I'm sorry, when Knight was when Knight was four, Jack Ruffin died, and his two boys, who had been living with him, moved with Barbara, their mother, mm. and Kent. So that's the first husband. Yep. 
Knight's father was an alcoholic who openly used violence and intimidation to rape his wife, Barbara, uh, um, Barbara up to 10 times a day. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now, this fucking lady, Catherine, how she was raised in the family, she was raised in that environment. Yeah. It's like there was no chance. Yeah. Yeah. No chance. Yeah. I mean, I imagine seeing your mom go through that every day. Yeah. It's crazy. You know? So Barbara, in turn, often told her daughters, her daughters, intimate details of her sex life and how much she hated sex and men. Mm. Later, when Knight complained to her mother that one of her partners wanted her to take part in a sex act, she did not want to perform. Barbara told her to put up to put up with it and stop complaining. Oh, shit. what? This is her mom, bro. Knight claimed she was frequently sexually assaulted by several members of her family, but not by her father, which continued until she was 11 years old. Although there are doubts about the details, psychiatrists accept her claims and the events have been largely confirmed by members of her family. So Barbara, Barbara's great-grandmother was an indigenous Australian from Moore, from Moore area who had married an Irishman. Barbara was proud of this fact and identified as um, Aborigines. Yeah, yep. I can't say that word. That's a tough one. (laughs) This was kept, this was kept a family secret. And there was considerable racism in the area at the time. And this was a source of tension for the children. Apart from her twin sister, the only person whom Knight was close was close to was her uncle, Oscar Knight, who was a champion horseman. She was devastated when he committed suicide in 1969 and continued to maintain that his ghost visits her. Oh. The family moved back to Aberdeen the same year. So she, when she attended um, Muscle Musclewellbrook High School, Knight became a loner and re, and is remembered by classmates as a bully who stood over smaller children. She assaulted at least one. She assaulted at least one boy at school with a weapon and was and once injured by a teacher, who was subsequently found to have acted in self defense. The teacher. The teacher did. So she she was did something. She, so she could get down then. Man, they ju- they like they like. <sighs> They 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 adjudicated the teacher like, hey man, you had to, you had to do what you had to do. Yeah, and I picture this woman. She's I mean she's not like a, a like a a big woman, or anything, mm-hmm. but just reading the story, you you go, did she have tattoos when she was in hot? Like she had tattoos and had her sleeves rolled up and yeah. had the mullet, you know, all hanging down and yeah. shit. I don't know what the Australian hairstyles was back in the day, but you know yeah. that's how I picture her, just tough and nobody fuck with her, right? Um. So her being alone, I just think that was on um, her terms, her being yeah. alone. Um, by contrast, when not enraged, Knight was a model student and often earned awards for her good behavior. I think she was earning good behavior when she wasn't fucking with people. So it was just like, take these awards and yeah, just relax. be calm. <laughs> you be calm. But also it's interesting that, you know, but she clearly was, you know, doing good in school when she wanted to. Yeah. So all that other stuff was stop it, preventing that from being a possibility yeah, of her yeah, succeeding. temper, it. all that shit. Yeah. So upon leaving school at age 15, without having learned to, re- to read or write, she gained employment as a cutter in a clothing, clothing factory. Mm. 12 months later, she left to start what she referred to as her dream job, as cutting up in a local, um, so it was like a local like butcher. Oh. Yeah, um, a slaughterhouse is what it's called, local right. slaughterhouse. There she quickly she quick, she was quickly promoted to um, boning and was given her own set of butcher knives. At home, the knives were hung over her bed, 
so that um, they would always be handy if if I needed them, is what she said. Okay. And happy she continued in, <laughs> until she was um, in prison. Imagine, like, sometimes I come home from work, you know, you're a little sweaty, dirty, something like that. Yeah. Every day you come home from work just covered in blood like a serial uh, killer. Yeah. Just just drenched in blood. Bloody gloves, shoes. You got to have, like, work work clothes yeah. that are always just kind of brown because there's just aged blood in your clothes. Yeah. You probably, like, blood you probably have to, like, go through, like, the back of your house. Yeah, oh, and, yeah, like, yeah. put yeah. the clothes somewhere. You got to, like, strip down at the front, in the mud room before yeah. you go into the house. Exactly, sure. yep. The blood room. Um. So, yeah, so she... This is her dream job to be at a slaughterhouse, and she had these knives that she she loved those knives. I picture her, you know, sharpening them every night before she go to work and hanging them up on. She probably got one. What's the shit you hanging the, the knives on? Oh, the like magnet the, shit. Yeah. Oh, she they definitely didn't have that. That's like that's some new <laughs> shit. Since you probably Do you have that it. in your house? No. I was about to say that's very classic. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but like, what was she hanging them on? Uh, like uh, hooks? Oh, that, it definitely was like a, a <laughs> janky type of setup. Yeah. But also, anybody that sharpens knives is that's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. I've never sharpened a knife in my life. In my life, if a knife gets dull in my and this is also his very first world, but if a knife gets dull in my house, new, I just get new knives. Get yeah, new it's knives. Just like just buy new knives. She She's was gonna sit around all day sling, sliding sling, the knife against sling, that sling. other stick, that metal stick. I thought they do it against like a rock or some shit. I mean, no, I mean they're not cave people. Oh. <laughs> You don't have Sparks that. You don't have. A, you don't have a cutting. You don't have a cutting block at your house. Yeah, there definitely should be not a mine. thing you put. But not. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. A yeah, little exactly. rod. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you slide that across that. Yeah, I don't have that. So you go get a rock from outside. If I need, if need to. <laughs> Emergency, yeah, man. Get that rock. Sling, sling. Is that yeah. how you sharpen? Them? I don't know. I never sharpen. I mean, them. you can. Sh- I guess you sharpen like a machete. <laughs> Like, I mean, <laughs> but like a steak knife, your steak knife's dull, so you go outside and like it's out back. Yeah, they get nuts, sparks man. and shit. Yeah, um, yeah. So Knight first first met hard um, met hard drinking coworker David Stanford Kellett in 1973. Kellett had previously worked for the railways of Coffs Harbor. His best friend was killed in front of him in a shunting accident, and he was later present when a train hit a school bus in Kempsey, killing six children. 1968. Um, railway operation. So oh, they just were. So he got hit by like a train? He got hit by a train. Oh, God. Um, and he also witnessed a school bus killing six children, I guess, around somewhere around that time. So he helped rescue the injured and remove the bodies. His heavy drinking has been attributed to these incidents. Shout out to him for, for, for doing that, though. Um, he was transferred to Muswellbrook after causing several several derailments due to fa- falling asleep while shunting. I mean, Steve was falling asleep on the job working on trains. Trains, bro. And trains were derailing because <laughs> this guy was fucking an alcoholic. His behavior deteriorated and he eventually lost the job. Should have been lost it. But he soon got to work at the at the nearby Aberdeen slaughterhouse where he became close friends with Knight's brother. After he began dating Knight, he also occasionally partnered her. He partnered her twin. Often, if Kelly got into a fight, Knight, w- Knight would step in and back him up with um with her with her fists. So, oh. this was this was her guy. So she was whenever he got into something, she was like she was in there ready to. And know. this she used to knock people out for fun back yeah. in the day. So she her hands worked. Oh no problem. You want to mess with my man? Oh, I I got this. Sometimes honey. sometimes I do envy. Cause I just know Sierra's not a fighter. You yeah. know what I mean? And I would never want her to fight. Yeah. But 
it is cool to know, like, if you were dating, like, um, Respucia from Norbit, mm. to just know, like, if shit goes down, you're getting floored, bro. Like, don't you don't want to fight me because my girl will back me up. Yeah. And her hands are lethal. Yeah. Like, if you were dating Layla Ali. Yeah. Oh, the shit I would talk. Or like Absolutely. peak Ronda Rousey. I bet. Oh, oh, was this your parking space? Oh, I'm sorry. What, oh, was this your parking space? Why don't you set, tell that to my lady? I'll be, speaking, I'll be arguing with women. <laughs> <laughs> Just see her coming. Oh, my lady out. might have something to say. Like, because I see sometimes I see women doing that. Sometimes women will like write write a, ca- a check that you have to sign. Yeah. And I've seen that happen so many times to dudes where it's like, let me go get my boyfriend. Yeah. And you're like, I don't, when, I, when you see the guy that they're talking to, I'm like, I hope whoever you bring is lethal. Not a professional fighter. And seven times out of ten, the, the times I've seen these ass whoopings happen, the dude that they bring is just not equipped. To. That's embarrassing. And then it's like, but like you can't back down because like your girl just hyped you up and brought you out here to fight her battle. There's days you just going to go, nah, this ain't, this ain't the one. This ain't it. You ain't never been in a situation where you've been the girl and then the, the guy talks shit and you just gotta, you just gotta let that just roll off your back. Hmm. Never been in a situation like that. I have. No, nah, I mean I was in a situation with you when those dudes was made fun of my shoes, but I made a business decision. Yeah. <laughs> you never made a business decision when like with a girl involved. No. No, man. I never been out and somebody, some dude like smacked my girl in the butt or been like, damn. I'm talking about just say some like like just a comment. Just, like 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 a like just, a compliment, but like disrespectful to you because you're holding their hand or something. Yeah, um, they doing it. On yeah, purpose. I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't go out. I, even when I younger, you haven't. I, I oh, this man. happened with Steph one time, and I was like, this dude was huge. <laughs> I was like, this ain't. It was I never. <laughs> it was me. It was me, Steph, and it was it was Rashad. You know Rashad, yeah. And and uh, his girlfriend. It was like, and I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> Nah, dog. <laughs> nah, dog. You know, dude. Damn. Yeah, yeah. That's no. Like, actually, I, actually, I, actually, I take that back. One time, me and Sierra were out, were out at a bar, and it was daytime. It was her sister's birthday, mm. and she was like, "I'm gonna go get a drink from the. I'm yeah. gonna go get a drink from the bar." So I'm like, "Okay." So I'm talking to like the friends that we're there with, yeah. and I look over, and it's this like 50 year old dude, like doing that thing where he's like, like he's got his arm on the bar, but it's like basically closing her Facing, off oh god and he's like talking right at, yeah hey and she's like hello nice to meet you yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's talking and i'm like keeping an eye on the situation because uh, sierra is very nice so i know she can handle herself yeah, yeah and then i see him do a thing where he like was like yeah you know it's like, uh, and he like put his hand at like the small of her waist mm. like 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 just touching her for no reason yeah, yeah and then i went over and i grabbed his hand and i pulled it away and he was like mm. oh man that's uh, sorry man sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he bought me a drink why because you were black I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't question when I don't, sometimes, sometimes I'm Whoa, like, brother. Yeah, so, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, sometimes when that, that's hap- that happens to me a lot in my life. And sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I just, I don't know. I, I don't look intimidating. Do yeah. I? Sometimes I'm like, it might've been cause yeah. I'm black. I don't know. Sorry, dog. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's like, <laughs> like, I just was like, I just moved his hand. I was like, okay. And he was like, it was like, well, all right. Hey, yeah. hey, hey now yeah. let's keep it cool. You thirsty? Just make a scene like yeah, you did something wrong. Yeah, and he was like, "My bad, man. Total misunderstanding. Let don't me hit me. Yeah, like, don't yeah. hit me." I was like, "No." Was like, like, went to the extreme. I was like, and then he bought me a drink. Whoa! He was- <laughs> hey, man. Let's be cool. I was like, "No, nah, I was just saying, like, don't touch your waist. It's cool, man. Hey, man. All love, homie. Like, don't don't shoot. Yeah, like- just don't shoot me. It's like you looking around, like, man, what? <laughs> 
get all racist. <laughs> <laughs> People looking around. Oh my God, up. a blood. You're like, what? No, what? No, I'm just, we're just here to listen to live music, man. I just don't want you to touch my fiance on the small of her back. Oh, man. So Knight uh, married Kelly in 1974 at, at her request. Um,. <laughs> Uh, with the couple arriving at the service on her, motor- on her motorcycle, I mean, this is oh, he was riding backseat on her motorcycle. I, I feel like he they he got married and he picked he, she picked him up. Yeah, oh for sure, he carried him out. Yeah, carried him through the threshold. But uh, probably, I mean, how how safe did he feel when she would? You know, he was little spoon. Oh yeah, she probably. I mean, she probably gave some good snuggles, man. Yeah, she probably. Will you marry me? Yeah, like, she got uh, down, just, got down on one knee. Yes. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. So the couple arriving, um. To service on her motorcycle with a very intoxicated Kellett on the, a very intoxicated Kellett. So this dude was just, he was an alcoholic, so he was just always drinking. He got married, him being drunk. Yeah. So as soon as they arrived. Do you think he was like holding her waist or do you think he had like, it was like a sidecar? If he was in a fucking sidecar. (laughs) (laughs) You think it's, what? yo, so you think waist hugging is less emasculating than a sidecar? Yes. I think, I think I'd like a sidecar. You sitting on your knees like up, up to your <laughs> to your chest. You like a kid, he got a helmet on. All you <laughs> see is like your head. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know about that one. Got some little goggles on, just sitting safe. That's like that's like you guys getting in the car and then you like getting in the car seat. <laughs> <laughs> is that weird? Yes. Oh, okay. What the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Put on your helmet and shit. She don't have a helmet on. Um. So as they as as soon as they arrived, Knight and Mother Barbara gave Kellett some advice. The old girl, she's talking about Knight, uh-huh. um, said to me to watch out. You better watch this one, or she'll fucking kill you. Oh, stare her up the wrong way, or do the wrong thing, and you're fucked. Don't even think of playing up on her, which means cheating. Um, she'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. This is what she right. was saying. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a couple screws loose somewhere. Mm. Yeah, that's well, wise words for sure. I probably would listen to them. Also, yeah, I feel like he should. I feel like he should know this by this point. I feel like he's probably seen her just drop people on yeah. several occasions. He's Maybe he's drunk, like, man. but I, she loves me, so yeah. I'm safe. I'm good. Yeah. Um, on their wedding night, Knight tried to strangle Kelly. She later explained it was because he fell asleep after only having intercourse three times. Oh damn. She different, bro. This is she's like an Amazonian. Like she's like, yeah, I mean, geez, I kind of respect it. She's like, men tired. are men are to be used. Yeah. And I can handle my I don't need this, a, a Prince Charming. I'm my own Prince Charming. And you better be able to go five rounds a night. Yeah. But she also has this bastardized idea of what sex is because like seeing her mom go through everything she went through. So maybe that has a part because three times is insane. He was tired. And that's the like, she's mad. Yeah, she's upset. Oh, she tried to kill him. <laughs> This is on the wedding night. I said, no, we supposed to get it in 10 times. That's crazy. The marriage proved to be violent. Um, and on one occasion, a heavily pregnant knight burned all of Kellett's clothing and shoes before hitting him across the back of the head with a frying pan. Oh. Simply because he had arrived home late from dart from a dart competition after reaching the finals. Let's have now Gavin a good time. The high that he's on too, like I fucking hit three bullseyes or whatever the thing is as an achievement in darts, and then you get a skillet up to the the noggin. Yeah. So, uh, in fear for his life, Kellett fled before collapsing in a neighbor's house, and he was later treated for severely uh, a severely fractured skull. Mm. Police wanted to charge Knight, but she changed her behavior um, towards Kellett, and I'm guess just 
getting back on his good side, so he had dropped he came the back home. Yeah, it's funny to hear this. Like you know, this is this is a domestic violence relationship. These are the same tropes that you would hear if the man was in the you know, and we we all we say the stuff of like don't go back, don't trust them, or whatever. Like he should be following that same playbook yeah. as well as we would sure. tell or we would tell a woman to do. Like yeah. he, he's he, they won't he won't change. She won't they won't change. Like she tried to strangle him and knock him out. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, when you said hit him over the head with a skillet, I don't know why in my head I'm, like, you know, lightly. I don't know why I'm, like, she, she like, fractured his skull. Yes. Yeah. So, in May 1976, shortly after the birth of of their first child, Melissa Ann Kellett um, left her for another woman and moved to Queensland, apparently unable to cope with Knight's abuse. So, he got out of there. Yeah. The next day, Knight... Good for for him, though. Yeah. The next day, Knight was seen pushing... Um, her new baby in a in a in a stroller down the main street, violently throwing the stroller from side to side. Yeah, she was admitted to uh, St. Elmo's Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth, where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression, and spent several weeks recovering. After being released, Knight placed two month old Melissa on a railway line shortly before oh, a train no. went to due. She then stole an axe, went into town, and threatened to kill several people. A man known in the district as Old Ted was, um, who was, was foraging near the railroad line and found and rescued Melissa. Oh, my God. Thank God. Yeah. Yep. So she was, after he left her, he was, she was like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. Try to kill the baby. Go out and kill the people. Um, Knight was arrested and taken to again, back to this uh, mental hospital. Mm-hmm. But apparently she recovered and signed herself out the following day. Wow. What? <laughs> yep. So a few days later, Knight slashed the face of a woman oh. with one of her knives and demanded she drive her to Queensboro. I mean, sorry, to Queensland to find Kelly. Yeah. The woman escaped after they stopped at a service station. But by the time police... She got out of there. But by the time police arrived, Knight had taken a young boy hostage and was threatening him with a knife. Oh my God. She was disarmed when the police attacked her with brooms and was admitted to another psychiatric hospital. Um, Knight told the nurses she had intended to kill the mechanic at the service station because he had he had repaired Kellett's car, which allowed him to leave. So that's why she was going to kill him. Yep, for help for doing his job, and then this guy used the car that he fixed to leave her. Because is it, to her, it's like, oh, it's your fault why he left. You shouldn't have fixed the car. Yep. I don't even know how you, how do you even uh, argue that logic into somebody? I have no idea, man. When a person with a knife? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so she said that which uh, had allowed him to leave and then kill both her husband and his mother when she arrived in Queensland. When police informed Kellett of the incident, he left his girlfriend and moved to Aberdeen with his mother to support Knight. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, so. Um, so he went back? He went back? He went back to Queensland. To move with his mom and to support Knight. Because she was still, I, I don't know if she still had the, it didn't say, but I'm guessing she still had the baby. Yeah. And had her yeah. other kids yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So I don't think he moved back in, but they probably. Moved back to the area? They moved back to the area, and I guess he had some type of communication after that. So Knight was released on August 9th of 1976 into the care of her mother-in-law, which is um, Kellett's mom. Right. And um, moved to um, Ipswich, a city west of, of Brisbane, where she obtained a job in the another meatworks company. On what are you gonna say? Well, I was gonna say I, I believe it's Ipswich. Ips, then, oh yeah, Ipswich. Yep, Ipswich. Brisbane. Yeah, Ips, 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 Ips,
where she obtained a job at the Denmore Meatworks. On March 6th of 1983, they had another daughter named Natasha, Natasha Mayer. I'm guessing the Melissa Ann and Natasha Mayer, I guess it's that's, that's their middle names. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So in 1984, Knight left Kellett um, and moved first to her parents' house in Aberdeen and then rented a house nearby um, Muswellbrook. Although she returned to work at the at the slaughterhouse, she injured her back the following year mm. and went on disability went on a disability pension. No longer needing to rent accommodation close to her work, the government gave her a housing commission residence in Aberdeen. So she had multiple other relationships with these uh, other guys. One of them was David Saunders. Knight met 38-year-old minor David Saunders in 1986. A few months later, he moved in with her and her daughters. Although he kept his old apartment in, in, in Scon, Knight soon became jealous regarding what he did when she was not around and would often throw him out. He would move back to his apartment where she would invariably follow and beg him to return. In May of 1987, she cut the throat of his two-month-old dog in front of him. Oh, whoa, whoa, wow. In front of him? In front of him, yep. For no for no more reason than than as an example of what happened if he would ever have an affair. Yeah. That's cr- oh my that's crazy. Yep. Before going before going on to knock him out, to knock him unconscious with a frying pan, in June of nineteen eighty eight she gave birth to a third a third daughter, Sarah, which prompts Saunders to put a deposit on a house. Knight paid off the deposit when her workers' compensation came through in nineteen eighty nine. Knight decorated the house throughout with animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. This lady's like fucking Crocodile Dundee. Yep. No space, including the ceilings, was left uncovered. After an argument, when she hit Saunders in the face with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach with a pair of scissors, he moved Jesus. back to Scon. Yeah, back to Scon. But when he later returned home, he found she had cut up all his clothes. Saunders took a long service leave and went into hiding. Fucked him up mentally. Just like, I got to get out of here. Physically, too. Yep. Knight tried to find him, but no one admitted to knowing his whereabouts. Several months later, Saunders, Saunders returned to see his daughter and found that Knight had gone to the police and unjustly told them um, she was afraid of him. So she put it. She oh, put get out, the fuck out of here. Yeah, so she put out an... Um, what is it called? And um, like a, like a restraining order, restraining order on, him. on him, on him. Yeah. Wow. Um. So in 1997, Knight became pregnant by 43 year old former um, slaughterhouse coworker John Chilling Chillingworth, and gave birth the following year to a boy they named Eric. Their relationship lasted three years before she left him for a man she had been having an affair with for some time, John Price. She goes okay, off. Yeah, she gets, just yeah, she, she pops. She she find him, pop him out, and then I mean, at this crazy, point she and, has like eleven children. Yes, yeah. So John Price, John Charles Thomas Price, who was born on April fourth, nineteen fifty five, was the father of three children when Knight had an affair with him. So they said he was um, they called him a a terrific bloke. Is that what they use? I guess. Yeah, what's sure. What's the, what's the bloke? a bloke like yeah, a, it's just like a guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they call him a terrific bloke. Like he was liked by everyone who knew him. Okay. His own marriage had ended in 1988, while his two-year-old daughter and 
While his two-year-old daughter had remained with his former wife, the two other children lived with him. Price was well aware of Knight's violent reputation as she moved into his house in 1995. It's a bold move. Do they just think like... I don't know. Oh, it, you know, that's just... She's they just change. say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His children, his children liked her. Um, he was making a lot of money working in local mines and part from violent arguments. At first, life was a bunch of roses. In 1998, Knight and Price fought over his refusal to marry her. In, in retaliation, she videotaped items he had allegedly stolen from work, sent the tape to his boss. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Although the items were out-of-date medical kits that he had scavenged from company rubbish tip, Price was fired from a job he had held for 17 years as his boss had no choice. It was making good money. It's crazy, this man. Man eater, bro. <laughs> she just comes through just fuck your whole shit up. Yep. It's like eight Tyler Perry movies you just told me about all in one story. Yep. The same day he kicked her out and she returned home and she returned to her own home while news of what she'd had done spread throughout the town. A few months later, Price restarted the relationship, although he now refused to allow her to move in with him. The fighting became even more frequent, and most of his friends would no longer have anything to do with him while they remained together. So his friends was like, I don't even You're want... You're a fool. You're a fool, and if you do some dumb shit, I don't want her coming after us for some type of retaliation yeah. or whatever. I don't know. We don't want no parts of that. This lady must be like uh, the Kama Sutra in the bedroom or something. It must be different. Something, man. It's different. Something. He came back after she... He lost his job of almost two decades. Yep. And he came back. He's like, all right, I'm back. But but you can't, you can't, you can't live with me though. Yeah. That's crazy. Whatever it was he needed in his life. Yeah. So in February of 2000, a series of assault assaults on price, um, shocker culminated with Knight stabbing him in the chest. Finally fed up. He kicked her out of the house. He survived. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Kicked her out of the house on February 29th. He, he stopped at the, at the scone, uh, magistrate court on his way to work and took out a restraining order. Now he, she, he got a restraining order on her in an attempt to keep her away from both him and his children. That afternoon, Price told his coworker that if he did not come to work the next day, it would be, it would be because Knight had murdered him. Mm. Despite their pleas that Price should, should not return home, he stated that he was afraid Knight would kill his children if he did not return home. Price arrived home to find that Knight although not there herself, has sent the children away for a sleepover at, at a friend's house. He then spent the evening with his neighbors before returning home, going to bed at 11 p.m. Earlier that day, Knight had bought a new black lingerie. She bought, so she, they had to, she sent the kids away. Mm-hmm. I guess <laughs> she was going to have this nice night with me and him. Made it, yeah, uh-huh. Go buy some lingerie and had videotaped all her children, all her children, while making comments which have have since been interpreted as um, as a crude will. Oh, yep. So she later arrived at Price's house while he was sleeping. Um, she sat watching television for a few minutes before having a nice hot shower. She go and and woke. All oh, this is against. He doesn't know this is happening. He's asleep. He's asleep. She, oh, that's so she's terrifying. come. She, she come home, watch TV. Um, showers. She took a nice hot shower. She wakes him up, and then they, you know, they make love mm-hmm. or whatever. And then after that, after she put it on him, like she, think like about she does. That. Think about 
<laughs> as a man, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're terrified. You're telling all your friends, like, this girl, she's, I mean, like, she's terrified. I hope she, she might kill me. Yeah. And then she wakes you up in the middle of the night for sex, and yeah. you're like, I'm game. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, I mean, say, like, I mean, seriously, like, she must be like, oh, 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 sex wizard. Like, okay. to just, for you to just be like, earlier that same day, you were like, I think this woman might kill my children. Yeah. And then you're not like, oh, my God, she's in the house. I need to get to the phone. You're like, yeah. all right, let's do this. Yeah. That's, I mean... That's crazy. Yep. Well, and that tells me that that's what it was because she bought lingerie. Yeah. So she's like, I know what I can do. Yeah. That's my specialty. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. So she woke him up to have sex and then, you know, she, she put it on him mm. and then he goes back to sleep. At 6 a.m. the next day, the neighbor became concerned that Price's car was still in the driveway when he did not arrive at work. His employer sent a worker to see what was wrong. Both the neighbor and the worker tried knocking on, Pri- on Price's door bedroom window to wake him but they but they alerted police after noticing blood on the front door police arrived at 8 a.m breaking down the back door police found price's body with night um with night from taking a large number so he died from taking a large amount of pills okay so she stabbed price with a butcher's knife while he was sleeping According to the blood evidence, he did wake up, oh. tried to turn on the light, um, tried to turn on the light before attempting to escape while Knight chased him through the house. Oh. He Stabbing managed to all. open oh. the front door and get outside, but he either stumbled back inside or was dragged back into the hallway, oh. where he finally died after bleeding out. Later, Knight went into Aberdeen and with Went into Aberdeen and withdrew a thousand dollars from Price's account at the ATM. This is all the same night. This is all the same. Was this? Yeah, the same. Because this happened at uh, eight a.m. the next. We know. Well, it had to be before. You're saying after she killed him. After she killed him. So this police is, are here. Yeah. So this is the same like day. Five o'clock yeah. in the morning. Yep. Or four or something like that. Yep. Wow. So Knight went into Aberdeen and withdrew and withdrew a thousand dollars from Price's account at the ATM. Price's autopsy revealed that he had been stabbed at least thirty-seven times and mm. both the front and back of his body with um, many of the wounds um, extending into vital organs. Mm. Several hours after Price had died, Knight skinned him. What the fuck are you saying? What? Yep. Knight skinned him and hung his skin from a meat hook um, on the door of the lounge room. Man, get the fuck out of here, man. She then, she then decapitated Price and cooked parts of his body, serving up the meat with baked potatoes. Baked potatoes, pumpkin, um, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy in two settings at the dinner table. Oh, she just went straight up Hannibal Lecter. Like, she did Went off. She didn't just, like, put his head in the oven. No. She, like, made a, a five-course meal. Yeah, sides and all kinds of shit. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yep. Uh, along with notes beside each plate, each having the name of one of Price's children on it. She was preparing to serve his body parts to his children. Oh. A third meal was thrown on the back lawn for unknown reasons, and it speculated that Knight had attempted to eat but to eat it but could not. Oh. This had been put forward in support of her claim that she has no memory of the crime. Price Price's head was found in a pot with vegetables. The pot was still warm, est- estimated to be between um, 104 to 122 degrees Fahrenheit indicating that the cooking had taken place um, in the early morning. Sometime later, Knight arranged 
the body with the left arm draped over an empty liter soft drink bottle with the legs crossed. This was claimed in court to be an act of defilement demonstrating Knight's um, contempt, contempt for Price. Knight had left a handwritten note on the top of the photograph of Price, bloodstained and covered with small pieces of flesh. It read, Tom got you back, Jonathan, for for raping my daughter. You two back, which is Price's daughter, for Ross, for Little John, who is his son, now play with Little John's dick, John Price. Oh, like play with... Play with Little John's dick, John Price, yeah. but not like signed John Price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, but she's saying that he's she's accusing him of raping her daughter. That's what it. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yep. So Knight's initial offer to to plead guilty for to manslaughter was rejected, um, and she was arraigned on March second, two thousand one, on the charge of murder, of murdering Price, to which she entered a plea of not guilty. Her trial was initially fixed for July 23rd, 2001, but was adjourned, is adjourned due to uh, her counsel's illness, and it was re and it was refixed for fifth for October 2001. So then, I'm I, I'm sure you know how this goes. It was, you know, is she um, competent to stand trial? Yeah. And they're going to try to um, get a psychiatric uh, assessment. Um, but they said that is that that. Uh, Knight's legal team had planned to defend Knight by claiming she had amnesia and um, to claim a support by most psychiatrists, although they did not consider her sane. Two psychiatrists included that Knight suffered from borderline personality disorder. I'm sure she does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I'm saying, like, you know, they was going to use that. Right, right, right. Obviously. Um, But in June 2006, Knight appealed the life. So she did get life sentence. Um, again, like I said, she was the first woman in Australia to um, to be sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. The judge said that oh, they wanted to make sure that she's like you. You're never, never you're getting never, out. You're never getting out. Yeah, you're never getting out. Um, again, so in June 2006, Knight appealed the life sentence, claiming that the penalty of life in prison without p- possibility of parole was too severe for the killing. I mean, <laughs> Justice Peter McClelland and Michael Adams and Megan Lethan dismissed the appeal in New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal in September with Justice McLeland writing in his judgment, this was an appalling crime almost beyond con- contemplation in a civilized society. Yeah, I, haven't even, I mean, I've never heard of something like that. That's crazy. Yep. Actually, let me take that back. Not that I've never heard of something like that. I feel like I've, I feel like I've skimmed this story before yeah. just because of like the... That crazy shit about the dinner table and everything like that. Yeah, that yeah. that definitely sound. I could be thinking of a movie or something. I don't yeah, know, yeah. but like I mean, that's in that that might be what I'm thinking of. Like it's like I've seen that before in horror movies. Yeah, yeah. But to be like, it wasn't that big of a deal. You should let me out. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think because this even I came across a story before, or there was another story where somebody chopped up somebody and served it, tried to serve it to like the family or something like that. Well, I did a story about a guy named Peter Bryan, who uh, he was a mentally the, ill guy. He was from he, um, maybe I'm, Peter maybe Bryan I'm, is from is from the UK. Okay, okay. Um, but there could have been a French person who did that as well. I mean, I there, we've done we've done a, a, a I'm, few. I remember Peter Bryan. I do remember. I do yeah, remember that he, story. He ate his like friend's brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's he like ate it out of his head, right? Like a bowl of cereal or something like that. He cooked it on the stove. Yeah, cooked it up in the skillet, like. 
Not as like. What if somebody did that though? You lavish. walk in, somebody like got the top of somebody's skull. That is literally. Uh, that's that's the movie. That's Hannibal. That's Hannibal. He had like cereal. No, he had oh. like he had uh, Ray Liotta at his dinner table. He had he had cut the top of his skull off, and so his brain was just exposed. Like yeah. he took the part of the brain, the part of the skull that holds the brain. Yeah, popped it off. So he was sitting at the dinner table with his brain out. Yeah, and then he just dug in his brain, took a piece of the brain out, Ugh. and like cooked it fresh out of his brain. He gave him like a lobotomy mm. right there on. Oh, it was cr- it's crazy. I mean, like, what if somebody used the top of my head as a bowl? Oh, I was, yeah, that'd be crazy too. That'd be wild. Yeah, that's that's, that's right. Think people buy that though? Buy it? Yeah, like a replica? Yeah, for sure. A hot topic that would go nuts. <laughs> they hold it's like hair. It's like, like a, it's like a cereal bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. That's crazy. No, I mean, yeah, that might be that, that might exist, gross. man. People do some Dang, weird shit, man. True. People do some weird fucking Look shit. Look it up. Buy one and let me know. I, I got you. I, I, I'll, uh, I'll, do, I'll do some Googles. <laughs> Is that the end of the story? Yeah, that's the end of the story. Yep. So that was uh, that's, Catherine, Knight. That's Catherine Knight. She was a fucking uh, goddamn maniac. Her skinning him and then feeding him to... That's crazy. The, his children was nuts, but... Assigning was, the places. Like every, it was meticulous. It was so much detail. Yeah, yeah. I was I was more concerned about like what was crazy to me is all the men that she was coming across and then they... They would, they know what that person is, but you know, it's, it's cool. Well, but she, when she throw it on him, yes, yeah, I'm saying like, they you know, that I can handle it. All of they heard all of the stuff too, <laughs> but they also heard that. Like, listen, man, she's crazy, dangerous. She'll knock you out. Yeah, but listen, <laughs> behind those closed doors, it's just, it's just, I've never been experiencing anything like this. That had to be her, also her reputation yeah. as well. It, nothing else makes sense that you get a guy fired from his job of almost twenty years, ruin his life. And then he's like, okay, we can date again, but, like, you just can't move in. I think when they first started the arguments was, like, they probably went, like, all right, this is not that bad. It, c- it can't get any worse than this. And then she knock you out with a, with a frying pan. Yeah. And, like, stab you in the chest and some crazy shit like that. And it's like. Everybody has. There's maybe their one limit. more. Maybe yeah, get, let me get saying. it one more time and then I'm going to leave. Everybody has their limits, but the limits <laughs> went a little further when it was. Um, Catherine Knight. Catherine, when, Kath, oh, yeah. when Catherine Knight was involved, you're like, uh, maybe just a little bit further. Uh, uh, friend, that was a great story. Uh, let's go ahead and get into these good vibes yeah, so man. we can get out of here. All right, welcome to our good vibes segment. I mean, this this I think this segment is is, is well needed for this episode. I think I would agree. Um. So my good vibe this week is about Shaq. Now Shaq has been doing some, a lot of good things recently. I mean, he probably He's always done a lot does of good for a long time. Yeah, yeah but um, there's a couple that's been coming up, but that has been coming out. Mm-hmm. I've heard about, but you know, he's one of these was like. He's done these good deeds and was like, I don't, I didn't mean, I didn't mean for none of this to. Yeah, I didn't bring a camera crew to. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, yeah, I didn't mean for none of this to get out. It's just mm. something I like to do. I like to. He said on um, TNT, he was like, I just started wake up every day and just do something good for somebody every day, once a day. That's awesome. Um, so this this was when a Shaq helps a young man pay for his engagement ring, mm. and um, I'm, he said, I'm happy. I'm into making people happy. So, um, the NBA legend and sports broadcaster Shaquille O'Neal ran into a random stranger at a jewelry shop Tuesday and decided to make the man's day by paying off an engagement ring he had on layaway. So, he said that uh, he walked into the store, I think it was Zales that he walked into, and he heard the guy was, like, trying to figure out 
The payments. No, damn well, Shaq can't get no damn the payments. Nothing from no jewelry from Zales. <laughs> he don't make nothing his size in Zales. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, so well, I, I'm going to touch on that. But he was saying that he walked in and he heard the guy talking about the payments or whatever so he can get the thing paid off. He was just like, he walked into it was like, nah, I, I, I'll pay it. I'll pay the whole thing. <sighs> Blessed. Yeah. Um, And Dwayne Wade, he was talking about this. I'll buy it. Okay. Yeah, Dwayne Wade was like, you know why, why are you at Zales, man? <laughs> was like, why Why are you at Zales? I don't know. I don't know what he meant by that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I know what he, he meant. I know what he you meant by it. Like, he just can't wear anything in Zales? I think he meant like. That's what. That's how. But and, and too I, much money. And I felt some type of way about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I mean, he shouldn't have said that, but it's also very true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Obviously, but, but you, don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> don't. Like I just. I didn't. You don't have to say that. He, didn't, he had to say that. That's on, a very on, elitist. On it's a very elitist comment. It's yeah. Very, yeah it's very, but he was yeah. like, you know, why you at sales? And he was like, you know, I was at sales because I have a ring collection coming out. I earring, earring collection. Okay. He has for the average everyday people. Sales. Yeah. yeah that, no. So, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's why he was in sales. Um, so he said I was in Zales looking for some 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 loop earrings because he said he has uh, some type of partnership with them with that. He has a thousand partner, yeah. mil- million partnerships oh, with everything. Doing everything. The 49 year old told his uh, fellow analyst on NBA on TNT the following day. I seen a guy coming in. He was just so shy. He was saying how much um, do I owe to pay my ring off? And when she and when O'Neal overheard the question, he turned he turned it around on the guy. I was like, my man, how much is it? How much is the ring? He recalled, um, I'm going, I'm not going to say the amount. So he said he wasn't going to say how much the guy said the ring was. But he's mm-hmm. like, I'll pay it. But whatever amount he was owed in the jewelry, the seven foot one hoop, um, hoops great. Seven, seven foot one hoops great took care of. Hoops of, great? It said hoops great. Somebody that's never watched basketball. <laughs> hoops great took hoops care great? of it when he passed his credit card to the employee who was helping the customer. That so, Shaq card, man. Yeah, he he paid that shit off. Um, and there was another story he came out where he was like, I don't know if you saw this. I saw this on TikTok actually. He said that um he told the he told the waiter he was like, uh, the faster my food come out, the bigger your tip. That's incentive right there. <laughs> and and he said that when they when he was about to leave, he had, he told the waiter, he said, um, you know, he asked how much you think you should your tip should be or whatever. He said that one person was like four thousand. And he was like, all right. And he gave him he gave him four thousand dollars. Four thousand dollar tip. So, I thought that was fucking. What crazy. a life. That guy what? this guy Shaq going around. I was like, if you get my car out of valet fast, uh, you know, it'll be worth it for you. Just incentivizing. I, if I had the money, I would better. do that too. Yeah. I would go give me the best service food, possible. Best and you will get the best tip you've ever gotten. Get my food out here as fast as you can. <laughs> and the faster you get out here, the bigger your tip will be. Them people work so goddamn hard. Especially if people knew who he know yeah, who he it's is. Like, it's Shaq, he means it. Yeah, so that I, th- I thought that was pretty cool, and That's that was awesome, Michael Pops' Shaq. The life Shout out to Shaq, Shaq, man. Shaq's done it all, man. Like Shaq, <sighs> Shaq's probably no older than like fifty-two years old. Yeah. What is what hasn't he done, man? He's been a movie star, elite, a hoops, a hoops. I don't know what's great. He's a been a, great. He's a hoops great. <laughs> uh, you know, he's still working. I mean, he's a thousand. And every time oh I turn into icy hot something. Uh, you know, uh, the general insurance. He's uh, every. He has a. Brand endorsements with every earrings with Zales apparently. Yeah, Shacks the shoes. I mean, I, but I gotta look at how much he. I heard, I know he made a ton of money on Shacks. People buy Shacks, man. I know we make, we make our jokes or whatever, but like people buy Shacks. So he, he's definitely not making no money from them. You know, Shacks 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 lived hell of a life, man. That that shout out to Shaq, man, and shout out to him just like paying it forward, doing little good deeds for people. That's really cool, man. Shout out to Shaq. Uh, my good vibe story is a very brief one, but it brought me so much joy. I saw it on Twitter this weekend, 
And uh, they're uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. They hold. I don't know if this is the first annual or what, but they uh, they held a battle of the Joshes, right? So a bunch of people named Josh, hundreds of people, it looks like by the pictures, name all named Josh showed up with pool noodles to a park in Lincoln, Nebraska, and just duked it out to decide who was the ultimate Josh. That's funny. The king of Joshes. And uh, at the end of the fight, there was only one man, one young boy. Not even a man. A young boy left standing. Four-year-old Lincoln resident named Josh Vincent Jr. What? He was crowned the ultimate uh, Josh. He was given a Burger King crown. And, mm. you know, he was hoisted up into the sky. And everybody praised him. And he was quickly dubbed Little Josh. And uh, he was given a trophy as well. And it was really just really uh, put me in good spirits. It was a, it was a very um, entertaining video to watch. It was warm feelies and all that kind of stuff. So I encourage people to look up. Uh, you know, the Battle of the Joshes or, uh, you know, um, just some Josh fight. Also, if you look up Josh fight and on YouTube or on Twitter, um, you'll pull up all the pictures and the videos of, you know, keeping track of the event. It was very funny and lighthearted. And, you know, uh, a little a little boy was crowned, a little four year old boy was crowned the king of Josh's. And I just thought that was a very, a very dope uh, moment. Um, so shout out to shout out to all the Josh's, you know, um, maybe. This is a sign that maybe it's time to you know retire that name. I think that name the name has kind of run run its course. It's Josh. Josh. Yeah, it's it's, it's done. What it's done. <laughs> it's, it's we don't need more of them. It's fine. Name name them something else. Uh, but no, shout out to <laughs> yeah. I was, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. it was a little, it was a little harsh. <laughs> that was my yeah, was, I'm sorry, my bad. Sorry about that. But uh, um, uh, before obviously uh, we got a little heavy at the beginning. And um, we always want to show love to the people that support this podcast always. So I'm going to keep the same music going because I don't feel like switching over to celebration. Um, and we're going to do some quick shout outs to the awesome people that support this podcast. We're going to start off with Nicole K. Shout out to Nicole K. Thank you for the support. Much love and appreciation. Up next, we got Holly. No last name. Have a Holly Jolly uh, spring. Uh, you know, uh, do it. Do it a little different. You don't have to wait till Christmas. Enjoy. Have a Holly Jolly time now. Up next, we got Megan Ray. Shout out to Megan Ray. And then her last name starts with a P. But Megan, she's got one of those hyphens names. A shout out to Megan Ray. Shout out to you, Megan Ray. Thanks for the support. We appreciate it greatly. Uh, up next, we got Shonda E. Shonda E actually uh, is the winner of the Patreon uh, podcast scavenger hunt this for this week. There's one week left in April, and we will do one last scavenger hunt uh, and and with, with a fun prize to give away. But Rachel E won this past I – mean, I'm sorry, a Shonda E – Won this past one, and shout out to her, and thanks for playing. Uh, up next, we got Amanda M. Shout out to you, Amanda. Thank you very much for the support. Much love and appreciation. Uh, up next, we got Rachel W. But she, it might be, it's definitely Rachel, but she's got a uh, spell different. Might That's be spell. Rochelle. Might be Rochelle. It's like R-A-C-H-A-E-L. Rochelle. I've seen this like that before. Rachel? Yeah. Well, then I'm going to go with my instinct and go ahead and say, hey, Rachel W., thank you for the support. Year-long subscription. Much appreciated. We thank you for the support. Hope you're enjoying the content on there. More to come. Uh, up next, we got Lauren B. Lauren B., one hell of a supporter. You know what I'm saying, friend? <laughs> thank you, Lauren. We appreciate you very much. Uh, next Up next, we got Johanna. Uh, this, this, this person messaged me and, and informed me that they also go by Ghost. So thank okay. you for telling me that, uh, Johanna. I will also refer to you as Ghost going forward. I want to know why. I don't know. I had a guy. I, you know, it's weird. It's funny. Like that exact same nickname. I had a guy 
he had an African name. I believe his name was Io. I was smoking weed with a friend in the car once in uh, in eleventh grade, and he came into the car to buy some weed for my friend, and, and he's like, "Hey, what's up, man? I'm Ghost." But like, no, everybody in the car was like, "Your name is th- this." Yeah. Like, you know, your name is Io, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, come on, oh, you know, people call me that." So I always, it's always funny to me when people introduce me to like them introduce themselves to me as like their street nickname. Yeah, you know, like they call me Black. Or something like, uh, okay, cool. Um, but thank you, Ghost. I appreciate you identifying yourself as what you like to be referred to as. And I appreciate that, Johanna, a.k.a. Ghost. Thank you very much. I want to know why your name is Ghost. Fran wants to know why your name is Ghost. And if it has anything to do with actual Ghost, message him directly because I don't want to know. No, anything. message me through him. I don't want anything so to he do let with me know. I don't like stories about actual experiences with uh, the other side. Up next, we got Brittany D.H., she has a middle name and a last name. Shout out to Brittany. You know who you are, Brittany DH. Much love. Thanks for the support. We appreciate you. And lastly, we got a young person named Zachary S. Zachary Zachary. Also, like like Zachary Binks from uh, a Hocus Pocus. Zachary. Yeah, Zachary Binks from Hocus Pocus. Is that the person's name? No, his name is Zachary. Oh, Zachary? Zachary. Zachary. No, you Zachary. know Zachary Binks? No. What, what did they do with that name? What did they do with it? Yeah. Zachary, put some pizzazz on it, man. You put some sauce on it, and now it's a Zachary. It's 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 an immortal name now. Stands the test of time. It's definitely put a, put a unique spin on Zachary for sure. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, to all those people, thank you for the support. We appreciate it greatly. Uh, we hope you're enjoying yourselves over there on the Patreon. More more stuff to come. More tune for your head top. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, I want to uh, let people know that I actually did a podcast recently with a wonderful new friend of mine. Her name is Nassim Khalili. She does this po- podcast called Nostalgia. She, uh, you know, she was born, she's a 90s baby, and she reminisces about fun times uh, growing up in the 90s. And from her perspective as a young brown girl, she talks about Capri Suns and, you know, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat and video, uh, video games from the 90s and TV shows from the 90s and the early 2000s. And it's this really fun thing. And we got together and we did a uh, cartoon, best cartoons of the 90s March Madness bracket. And I had a great time doing that. That episode will be coming out this Wednesday. So I suggest people go uh, check that out. We had a really good time, and I'm excited to see how it came out. Uh, Fran, any suggestions or anything that you're watching that, you know, you think is lighthearted or something you think or fun or something, you know, any, any or not, but just something that you're watching before we get out of here? People? No, I'm watching Steam stuff. Same stuff? Same, still watching 000? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great show, man. Um, me, me personally, I watched the Mortal Kombat movie. I enjoyed that. It was fun. Same thing was as Godzilla versus um King Kong. Man, like I, I hear anybody that I see say something negative about it. I'm like, what were you expecting? It's a video game about a a tournament between people from other dimensions. Like, yeah. what do you think the storyline they're gonna craft is gonna be? <laughs> they did the fights, and the fights were graphic and bloody and. Good fights and what are you watching on Amazon or something? It's on HBO Max. Oh shit! Okay, but uh, it did all that stuff. So I mean, it was great. I think it executed that perfectly. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, man, that's all I got for this week. You know, uh, this has been another episode of Affirmative Murder. I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Franco Evans, and we'll see you guys next week. Deuces.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 